Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Underwear, armpit hair, many imitators, but no one compares. Badass Women's Hour XL with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell, and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio. One, two, three, four! Welcome to the Badass Women's Hour Extra Bits, our little gift for you podcast subscribers. With me, Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell, and Emma Sexton. This week, we talked to Caroline Criado Perez, OBE, about why the world was designed for men. And Steph Douglas from Don't Buy Her Flowers talks about coping with overwhelm. Joining us in the studio, Caroline Credo Perez. Hello. Hello. Um I did not do that justice. Caroline Credo Perez OBE. Woo-hoo. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Uh, My feet still can't touch the floor, though, can they? <laughs> no, they can't. Small wind. <laughs> if you do not know Caroline, well, quite frankly, you're missing out. She is a journalist and author. She is also the woman responsible for having a woman on a yes. banknote, mm-hmm. yeah. for having a female statue. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, Caroline, we are in awe of your work. Your latest book, Invisible Women, Exposing the Data Bias in a World Designed by Men. Four men. Four men. Sorry, four men. Cross that out. <laughs> that's, uh, that's Our male the producer is... gave me a typo on the book. Outrageous. Honestly. Outrageous. <laughs> um, why is the world designed for men? Tell us. Uh, partly because it's designed by men. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I mean, it's just sort of everywhere, essentially. Uh, we, all of us, take um, the male human to be the default human. When we think of a human, we tend to think of a man. Emma, what are you doing? Instagram. <laughs> it's really it off-putting. Very briefly filming <laughs> something. Sorry, I'm sorry. sorry. Wasn't um, subtle. Um, yeah. It's so, like when somebody's filming you on the tube and you're like, will you st- I know what you're doing. Stop it. Sorry about that. Do people film you on the tube? I, so I've had people take pictures on the tube, which is weird. That's really, really weird. weird. Are you sure they're yeah. not taking a picture of advert? No. Potentially taking Because I no. do that sometimes and I know that people look at me like, why yeah, are you taking a picture of me? That's obvious. I mean, when, that, when, when it's like because I worry that yeah. I look like I'm being a creepy stalker no. but actually I've spotted a sexist ad because <laughs> no, like... then you're like clear you're like you're taking a photo your hands up it's when you're kind of people keeping their phones in their laps mm-hmm. but they're sort of angling them and they look down and they look at you and they look down and they look at you and you're like oh yeah. Just stop it. Yeah, it's yeah. weird. Why it's did weird. we start talking about that? Oh, yeah, anyway. Emma. Because Emma, Emma was being a creepy <laughs> stalker. I'm just anyway. ruining the whole show. <laughs> we were talking about anyway, worlds for men worlds by for men. men. Yes, yeah, sorry. Um, so, um, so that's sort of at the heart of it is, you know, it's not a sort of conspiracy. It's not people deliberately 
designing things not for women. Um, I don't for one second think that, you know, people who are designing cars want women to be 47% more likely to be seriously injured in a crash or 17% more likely to die. But because we are so used to thinking of a man when we think of a human, it's like we don't notice that we are not representing 50% of the population when we design everything from cars to medication uh, to the workplace to transport to basically anything. So the one that's... The stat in the book that really shocked me is women are 50% more likely to be misdiagnosed following a heart attack than mm-hmm. men because we basically teach medical science based on the symptoms that men present. Is that correct? Yeah. So um, that was actually the the sort of mind-focusing uh, piece of evidence that I discovered that really got me thinking about the gender data gap. It was discovering that the heart attack symptoms I'd always been told were the heart attack symptoms were in fact male heart attack symptoms. So pain in the chest and down the left arm. And women don't tend to experience those symptoms. In fact, only one in eight women experience chest pain, for example. And uh, women are more likely to experience nausea, uh, indigestion, fatigue, breathlessness. And so women don't realize they're having a heart attack. Um, But then on top of that, doctors are also not recognizing the heart attack Mm -hmm. symptoms. Um, And so, yeah, women end up being misdiagnosed. And it's not just about the symptoms. It's also the diagnostic tests that we've developed to search out for the signs of heart attack. For example, one of the Um, main test is looking for blockages in the heart. Well, it turns out that women's heart attacks may also be mechanically different. So they may not present with the same kind of blockages or to the same extent. Mm -hmm. And so women, even women who do present with chest pain and therefore are being tested, are being sent home with undiagnosed chest pain after having had a heart attack because this, sorry, this test is looking for this particular way in which a male heart attack progresses. Um, And essentially that is because we've been using male data. The vast majority of knowledge we have about cardiovascular disease is based on male bodies, male hearts and how the disease progresses in men. And as a result, in everything from symptoms to diagnostic tests to treatment, uh, women are being uh, let down. And as a result, not only are women more likely to be misdiagnosed, unsurprisingly, therefore, women are also much more likely to die following a heart attack than men. But you're unearthing this research. So this research is is happening and people have identified Mm. that. Is is that research in a position where it is going to hopefully change things and change the conversation? Um, Well, it's hard to know. So, I mean, the frustrating thing about cardiovascular disease is that this is something that we've known for at least 20 years. Mm-hmm. We've known about the difference in male and female symptoms, male and female outcomes. I mean, women have been more likely to die following a heart attack since 1984, um, which is the era of born. So the entire time <laughs> I've been alive, we've known that this is a problem. Um, and nevertheless, it carries on. I mean, just recently, um, the NHS has opened these 24-hour Um, sort of specialised heart attack clinics where you get sent to have this very specific kind of treatment that has proved to be extremely useful in uh, preventing death. Um, But one of the criteria for getting sent to this particular uh, NHS 24-hour hospital is chest pain. Mm -hmm. And as I've just said, only one in eight women experience chest pain. So unsurprisingly, the vast majority of people who are being sent to these centres, way out of proportion to, you know, who's actually having a heart attack, is men. Um, So 
it's That's incredible. It's partly that we don't have the data. And actually, no, we don't have enough data yet. We have enough data to know that we really need to be collecting data. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't have enough data to fix everything already. You know, that's going to take decades. Um, but there is this sort of reticence and reluctance to kind of admit that we have this problem, yeah. even though we know that we have this problem. Um, and that is harder to uh, explain or justify. Um and I can only put it down to just this cultural norm being so pervasive that human means male, that somehow people are being able to justify it in their heads, that this isn't such a big problem. Because you do still get, I mean, the excuses that you get for not including women in um, clinical trials are things like, uh, well, we haven't tested on women in the past, so we don't have any comparable data to uh, sh- sh- you know, show it up again. So basically, like, because we screwed you in the past, we can't start now. Um, and also that female bodies are too hormonal and complicated to measure. They can't be bothered, basically. can they? And I just don't think that that would be an excuse that was used if people were genuinely thinking, A, this is 50% of the population, and B, women are dying as a result. You know, and I think that, that what needs to be done is for when researchers make this kind of excuse mm-hmm. they need to be explicit about it no i've decided actually it is more important to uh save money on this test than to save women's lives so this is genuinely where i feel that having more women in power does change things because the whole thing is connected whether the, the people that decide where the funding goes mm-hmm. they're male and so if you're presenting a case to men that don't necessarily get it you're not going to get the funding Mm -hmm. the researchers again do we have the right balance of women actively saying i'm going to look into this we've spoken a lot on the show about uh, cervical cancers Mm -hmm. um and the fact that we just generally don't know what's going on in the lower half of our body and there aren't enough people doing research because men aren't particularly interested and so if we don't start to get into places where we can change the decision making around so much it will just continue because it's not in their interests to research stuff. No, I mean, that's absolutely right. And all the research that we do have shows that uh, women are much more likely to do gender analysis in their research. They're yeah. much more likely to collect gender, uh, sex disaggregated data. Um, and, you know, you're absolutely right. There's a huge problem when it comes to funding. So the vast majority of VCs are men and women do find it much harder to get funding. And there's this sort of double irony or whatever going on in that female entrepreneurs need more and better data in order to be able to convince the male VCs that this is a real problem that needs to be fixed. But they don't have the data because we're not collecting data on women. But I'm also thinking about the research councils and um, all of the the medical companies that, that again, are investing in technology and the pharmaceutical companies. if, If we're not around the table, if we're not at board level, if we're not the chief execs, taking that more balanced view then it's just not going to change no it's that you're absolutely right and there's i mean there's a, so many out in the sort of enraging examples that i came across of exactly this um from medical research one that i thought was really the most outrageous was um so if uh your uterus fails when you're in labor um there is only one drug that we have currently to try and get your uterus to sort of get back into gear. It's called oxytocin. It only works 50% of the time. There's no way currently to tell which women it's going to work in and which women it's not going to work in. So, I mean, this actually happened to a friend of mine. She went into labour. You have to go through this uh, incredibly, you know, horrific procedure of having this oxytocin, being in labour for absolutely hours and hours and hours, um, in a lot of pain, trying to figure out how they're going to get the baby out. 
only after you've gone through all that can you have an emergency cesarean. Um, anyway, so there was this woman in Liverpool who uh, came across the the thing, the idea that um, this was partly to do with a woman's blood pH. Um, and that was affecting whether or not the uterus was contracting properly. And so she conducted this sort of, you know, on the ward trial mm. where she gave 50% of patients um, uh, an antacid and then gave them the oxytocin and 50% just gave them the oxytocin. And just this very sort of, you know, um, you know, not a proper clinical trial. So there's loads of variables mm-hmm. where she could actually have made it a lot better, even with just that and it not having been particularly targeted, uh, increased uh, a woman's chance of giving birth vaginally and not having to have a cesarean section uh, by 25%. Mm. Um, wow. And I want to keep talking to you about more of these because I think these are amazing and I want to hear all the stats and all the ways. No, I haven't told you. You have to know oh, the story. <laughs> oh, you just have to do an ad break. break. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. There is a conclusion. We're leaving it on a cliffhanger. <laughs> We're going to have a little break. Badass Women's Hour XL on Talk Radio. She'll get you talking. I'm Harriet Minton with Natalie Campbell, Emma Sexton and Karen Creator Paris. And before the break, she was telling us about why women are not getting the right drugs when they're giving birth. Give us the punchline. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, it had this amazing impact. And she found out that there was um, this funding going from the Medical Research Council for specifically any health intervention that would be particularly helpful for people in low and middle income countries. Now, women in low and middle income countries are dying in childbirth every single day. There is no doubt that this would make an absolutely huge difference. Um, But she was turned down for funding on the basis that it wasn't um, a high priority. Wow. Wow. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's what we're dealing with. You know, women dying in childbirth is not important, apparently. And the, the worst thing is this would have been such... Uh, it, it's such a low cost, effective, easily, you know, administered. You're looking at me like you're like, you, you no, want to move no, on. No, okay. No. <laughs> I'm just, I'm very upset about this one. <laughs> of course, the other one, I mean, the, the other one that loads of people have picked up on is the Viagra story, which is sort of less, I mean, it's, but they're both shocking, but, you know, women aren't, don't tend to die Viagra from period yeah. pain. Okay. So, um, do you, well, I'm assuming, I'm going to assume for whatever, that the listeners don't know how Viagra was discovered. So Viagra was discovered um, by accident in uh, obviously an all-male trial for a heart drug. And it turned out that this this drug was not great for uh, heart disease, but there was this very interesting side effect. (laughs) And because it was an all-male trial, they all experienced it. And, um, And so they you know, decided to capitalize on this. And within a few years, Viagra was on the market. And we all know it's been a huge success story. And it's great. You know, men who suffer from erectile dysfunction deserve to have a drug to fix them. Yeah. Anyway, so that was great. However, um, in 2013, a uh, a medical researcher uh, was curious to see whether Viagra would help with period pain. Um, because I don't know, I don't understand the medicine behind it, but there was a reason yeah. for thinking this: the way that it functioned, the way that period period pain functions. Um, and so he got some funding for a small scale trial, um, and uh, and he ran out of funding before he was able to um, prove his primary hypothesis. But basically, what the test suggested was that. Viagra, yes, could indeed actually provide, compared to a placebo, uh, four hours of pain relief 
um, with no side effects, which of course doesn't currently exist for period pain. She says, currently on her period, in pain. Um, And uh, he has tried to apply twice to the National Institute of Health in America for funding to uh, prove this hypothesis and get Viagra out there for women. Um, But it's been twice denied funding, again, on the basis that it's not a public health priority. Mm. I am oh, seeing red. That makes me so. Angry. <laughs> it's been outrageous writing this book. Were you just? Did Were you, you spend the entire the time? time? I feel like really there was angry. lots of heavy typing, <laughs> lots of sighing, lots of deep breathing. Because just listening to you, I am just like this. This, this is, is the problem. This, this I am actually really angry because yeah. we're in a computer says no scenario but it's yeah. not computer says no it's man somewhere says no because <laughs> yeah. it's not important enough to him and I don't mean to man bash and I'm I'm not actually but I think you should all read the book <laughs> and then think about the decisions that you make with a bit more awareness <laughs> just saying yeah <laughs> how do we start trying to change the culture around this? so we talked about having more women in senior roles but there's also just a cultural thing I loved you had on your Twitter the other day Karen that you just had this thought you were like actually every time I say hey guys I'm just going to change it and be like hey women to mean everyone (laughs) because we've been saying hey guys to mean everyone for however long why can't we just say hey women I was like oh my god I've and I've had people say to me at events please can you not say guys because it's not inclusive and I've gone oh my gosh I'm so sorry yes it's a tick I will try and change it and I haven't known what to put in its place. Yeah. And I was like, why have I not just thought <laughs> the answer is women? Is that the kind of like, that feels to me like the slightly sort of culturally subversive stuff we need to start doing now to make it clear mm. that we've just been thinking of the men first for yeah. however long. Um, I, I think that, you know, yes, I, I encourage everyone to start using <laughs> women as a generic term and she as a generic term because, yeah, yeah that's what we've been doing for centuries with men. Um, but I think the other thing is to stop allowing the male to occupy the default. So um, too often when we are acting as if we're talking gender neutrally, we're actually talking about men. You know, I mean, this is... Uh, is this a, is this the same as talk sport? I don't know. Well, anyway, it's a sport radio. Let's call them sister stations. Okay, fine. <laughs> so yes. you talk about sport on this radio station, but actually, the majority of the time, I would bet you're talking actually about men's sport. Absolutely. So say that. Say when you're talking about men's sport, mm-hmm. and and I think that that's really important because one of the pushbacks that I think uh, women get when they talk about the way that women are excluded is because we're not honest and open about the way that we're always talking about men but we present it in this gender neutral way and because men aren't excluded from that they don't notice that women are excluded and so women say no you need to include women they say well we're never mentioning men specifically (laughs) and you're like well that's because you don't have to and so I think that's also a very important cultural shift is to make the male default visible yeah sorry everything you're saying right now for me you can uh transfer and, and put in, in ethnicity mm. or race. And I was actually thinking this book is probably um, the equivalent for me of why I'm no longer talking to white people about race. Mm-hmm. It's that conversation that gets people to understand the privileged seat that they sit in and what it's like to be the default. Yeah. And it's small things that you start to notice that potentially you never really mm. thought of before. So when you're talking about sport, I was like, yeah, actually, because when we talk, we talk about sport on the show, and we talk about specifically women's sport. Yeah, um, and you know, it's it's a big and thing. We say it's yeah, women's it's sport, women's don't we? Sport. Yeah, um, 
but there are so many small un- things that you don't notice and actually if you shift the dial on that on on the small things mm. that's where you get the sort of the big change and we've had a couple of arguments on the show with some callers who've said you know why do you need a woman on 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 money and we said it's the small things if you don't fight for that mm. then you will not change anything that's systemic and people are like but it's just money it's just a bill and it's like no it's not it's the small things that we have to pay attention to well it's about a way of thinking you know and and they are all connected you know i mean i think that for me uh but probably because of the way i came into feminism which was discovering that i had male default in my head basically um i uh, i read this book when i was 25 i went to university are you about to go for a break? No, okay. I'm, I'm just, just your face is like, shut up, Caroline. Shut up. listening. So I read this book uh, about uh, gender and language and male default in, in language and basically talking about using words like he to mean he or she and man to mean humankind. And obviously I had heard these arguments before, but I'd not been a feminist. I wasn't political. I just thought, stupid, trivial, who cares? Everyone knows it means he or she. Um but Debbie Cameron, who's the author of the book, said that actually when women hear or read these words, they picture a man. Yeah. And basically that just sort of changed my life because, you know, as you've been saying, I hadn't noticed it. And so not only did I realise I was doing that, but also I was so shocked that I got to the age of 25 without realising that I was always picturing men unless someone had specifically specified a woman. Um and I so I think that that's why the campaigns that I run tend to be about representation because I know how powerful an effect it can have on someone. Mm. And then also, and, and, and I sort of see this book as an extension of that campaigning work because it's basically still about the underrepresentation of women. It's just that it happens to be in data. Mm. Um, and, you know, when I discovered the, the heart attack uh, symptoms issue and women being more likely to die... It was just so shocking to me because I, I, I'd known about women's underrepresentation in culture, but we are taught to think that scientists and science yeah. and medical science in particular is objective and neutral. And fair. Yeah. Yes. And so you'd think if, if there's one place that women are going to be fairly represented, it's going to be in medical research. And it was just so shocking to find that the issues that dog uh, culture are to be found in numbers. Mm. If you could pick one thing from the book that you think is an easy fix and we could just get on with right now, what would it be? And this is my short time face. (laughs) (laughs) Well, luckily for you, it's a short answer, which is um, just in every field, just start collecting sex disaggregated data. It's as simple as that. And it's so easy to do. We should have been doing it yesterday, but we can certainly start doing it today. Amazing. Fantastic. Caroline Criado Perez, OBE, talking about her new <laughs> book. I'm going to say it. Uh, Invisible Women, Exposing the Data Bias in a World Designed for Men. It's available in all good bookshops now. Go get a copy. The Vampire Strikes Back. Badass Women's Hour XL on Talk Radio. And we are joined right now by the wonderful, the gorgeous, the fabulous Steph Douglas. Oh, Hello. Thanks very much. <laughs> For anyone who has not heard Steph on the show before, she is the founder of Don't Buy Her Flowers, which is basically the website where I buy anyone in my do, life a gift. <laughs> I'm not not to brag stuff, I'm single handedly keeping a business going. <laughs> like, and you've just had a baby, here we go. Um and she's also a 
Instagram sensation. If you're not following Steph and her life on Instagram, then quite frankly, your life is duller without her. <laughs> thank you for coming in tonight, Madeline. And I'm saying a super big thank you because I know that right now, life is really stressful for you. Do you know, I, since I wrote about it, it, it's not quite so much. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you wrote about the feeling of being overwhelmed. Yeah. And, and it's just had this huge response on mm. social media with everyone being like, oh my gosh, thank you for talking about it. When you're talking about overwhelmed, what do you mean? It's that point where you're... Actually, I read a really good description in a book by Bridget Schultz, and I use it all the time because it was the first time I read something. I was like, that's it. And she talked about it being like the ticker tape that goes along the bottom of the screen, the news the news ticker tape, where mm. it's just like, ding, 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 all these things that you feel like you need to do. Mm. Yeah. And you can't do anything because you kind of combust a bit. Yeah. The never-ending to-do list. It yeah. is. Mm. What did you... How did you know you were getting to the point of overwhelm? I think I do it in a bit of a cycle. So I'll... I'll I think I'm feeling all right, everything's going fine, and I'm feeling kind of holding it together. And then I'll have, you know, I'll, I'll put a few more things in the diary, a few more work things, a few more social things, a few more family things. Oh, we haven't seen that person and that person. So you kind of line everything up. You're all nodding. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then and then a few extra things will come in that you're not expected. And then there's the kind of mental load. So it'll be like, I haven't had an eye test for however long. The kids need new shoes. We need to get all that stuff. And then just suddenly it's it's too much and it feels insurmountable. And I'm I'm starting the day with a list that I, I know I can't get done, but I'm still trying to do it. Mm-hmm. And I think we had a, I spoke to a clinical psychologist, um, Emma Svanberg, before I wrote the post. And one of the things she was explaining was you basically performing at a level that's not sustainable and that's what we're all doing so we're praising ourselves and other people praise us because everyone else is going well how do you do it how are you running this and how are you doing that and then you're when you can't because you can't keep that up then it all comes it feels like it's all coming crashing down and you're failing but actually you're just normal (laughs) yeah we do celebrate busyness don't we yeah in terms of like there's a culture but do you do you think it's getting better culture wise do you feel that there's a lot of a lot of pressure on us to be busy and be doing successful things Mm. and achieving things Mm. and making it all happen and perfect life, perfect work, all of that. Looking great. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think I've, when I, but the problem is, is that we put it on ourselves really because we're the only ones that can rescue ourselves when you get into that state. And so I think I'm, are trying really hard not to and also like this week even just you know terror attacks that you know that goes on you and and then I've been doing some work with lots of women who are mothers but in lots of different ways and and like one post that went out today she's got a child with loads of diagnosis that and it's really complicated and you go okay I, like I don't have that and you start you can you when you've had I think when you can get a breather you start looking at everyone else and you can go actually you know, I'm okay, but it's at that point when you're in panic mode that you can't even see those things, like you're almost, you can't even see the perspective side of it because you're so overwhelmed. I think that's hard. But do you think it's a symptom of how we live either as entrepreneurs or, you know, anyone that's got a portfolio career where this sort of never-ending to-do list and the chucking in of all of these things that we need to do... Yeah is just it's just more prominent because of the way that we've chosen to live our lives versus my friends that do nine to fives mm. they literally they do their nine to five they go home and then they have more time to do stuff in the evening 
but they are committed to a nine to five. My friends that have portfolio careers, they, ha you know, they're working six different jobs, six different brain spaces. They're everywhere. <coughs> they're up early. They're home late. So they're trying to see the social on top of everything else. And I, I am starting to feel it's a symptom of us moving to this portfolio career that was supposed to give us more space and freedom. time and freedom. Mm. Or being an entrepreneur, again, space, time, freedom. Mm. And the reality is, is that my friends that have got the nine to fives or even nine to six thirties or eight to six thirties, their lives are much more comp comp compartmentalised mm. and simple. I suppose a lot less people have that anyway, just because of email and, and that, e you know, the access to your evening and your access to be at work, even when you're at home and, and all those things. I think friends of mine it, it, friends who don't work mm. still feel that I think motherhood is another angle which mm. makes things I mean I've got three kids and two of them in school and both both of those classes have whatsapp groups and it's like just an oh yeah and it's a whole nother <laughs> level of like information coming at you and, and two lots of homework to remember and to, you know and it's like all these demands on you mm -hmm. And actually, you can switch out of it. You can say, I'm not getting involved in the school fate or, I'm, you know, I'm not going to worry too much about Red Nose Day. My daughter went in her Christmas jumper because it was red and she had to wear something red, you know. But it's when you feel like you've got to meet a certain standard and then we put that on ourselves. And it's almost like it's such a relief when you take it off. Opt out. Is, is it standards or is it having a better way to be productive and manage everything that you've got to do? I think taking stuff out is the only way I'm finding I can keep up like, and, and not worrying about I mean, my house is pretty untidy a lot of the time. But there's three <laughs> kids, I just can't. And, it's how, and it also, it's infinite, isn't it? That's what yeah, I found. Yeah, it's not going to end. No, even with like running a business, I don't, you know, you're running a business and you've got, a, you know, a family that you're, you know, running as mm. well. And I, I find with the business that actually that to-do list is potentially never ending. It doesn't ever end because you're, yeah. you're never going to be, oh, I've done it, I've yeah. succeeded. So then it is about going, actually, I'm just going to cope with the things within this yeah. this sphere and saying, no, but it's really hard because then it's like all the friends that you're connected with that you should be seeing and you haven't seen and then, yeah. you know, suddenly if I want to catch up with some mates, that could be like a load of other stuff to organise. Yeah. And, yeah. And I think we, ha I think as well, we have quite a different expectation, or different expectations to our mothers and but we learned from them so a lot of what we expect of ourselves we learned from them so like whether that as a mum whether that's like home cooked meals or being there at the drop off and the pickup and doing all those things but also just fitting in a business on top or fitting a job <laughs> in on top <laughs> and I think our generation are kind of still a lot of women who with children are trying to do their mother's role and be this successful feminist you know so you're you're trying to do both and I want both but we haven't worked out how you fit it together yet and and then how much more the man needs to do mm -hmm. and how much his work need to accept you know he needs to do and that's a whole structural change it's massive so the best advice I got is from a, a woman who's managing it all Pavita Cooper she's awesome uh she has two kids and she said to me 60% is good enough yeah She's like, you operate at 180% all the time. So you don't actually know what 100% feels like. And to you, 100% is bad. But she's like, take it down to 60 and see how you feel and see mm. if anyone notices you're not doing all of the stuff mm. in the 180 or the 100. And do you know what? No one noticed. Yeah. <laughs> After about three days, no one noticed. Yeah. But it's really hard because the way we operate is at such a level and such a pace. Mm. 
I just don't know if we, we know how to do that. Someone has to remind us. Well, we, or that's what I mean by this constant cycle. So yeah. you, you can do it and you're being quite cautious of what you're packing in. And then suddenly you look at the diary ahead and you feel, I heard you saying about going out, yeah. that anxiety, you're like, I'm not going to get enough sleep because I've got too many <laughs> yeah. things in the diary. And I, and please, I'm, I'm already so stressed about it. I can't think about it. <laughs> but you know, you're already tired thinking, how am I going to do mm-hmm. that? And it's like, and it creeps up and then you mm-hmm. calm it down and you take some stuff out and do, but then you go again. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I don't know how you stop that roller coaster yeah. of, because it's it's only you that suffers really yeah. well probably people around you a bit <laughs> and it is also the fear of it as well so there's the mm. fear of getting things wrong and how terrible that's going to be so you write in the article about sending your daughter off on a school oh. trip and not giving her a packed lunch oh mabel, oh, oh, mabel. No, her, she sounds like she was fine she, she was, like, had a smorgasbord that she? day yeah, so her, 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 mabel what did um what did you have it was as i picked her up mummy you didn't take give me a packed lunch today oh she's like, what did you do oh some of the other children shared with me like, oh god. and then and oh, what did your teacher say well she gave me some of her sandwich like oh god like, it was like stabbing in the heart did yeah. that not happen to you i'm like i'm sure that happened Probably, to i'm every one of six kid. So probably all yeah. the time. My mum used to forget me from piano lessons. <laughs> no one needed therapy for. Yeah. She was no, she was fine. But I just was like, this was a sign of I'm going to start Busy forgetting brain. stuff. Yeah, 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 I'd miss the WhatsApp message that morning or whatever because it's like I can't. I yeah, can't. That do WhatsApp it. is a bit out of control, isn't it? Yeah. 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 I have to be quite strict with people when they add me to a group. I felt for ages I felt really bad because obviously when you leave a group, WhatsApp tells Harriet the group has that you've left the yeah. group. <laughs> exactly. Like, you just can't. What's that? The Irish goodbye. You can't sneak out the door. You yeah. Have to, you have to full on leave. And so I couldn't do. I'd just be like archiving them, but then they come back and you'd archive them again. And I've just got very clear about it. I'm just like, no, I've, I'm leaving the group. I'm sorry. I love you. Yeah. It's been great. This group is not for me. See ya. Yeah. I oh, think, yeah. Can you outsource stuff? So cleaning. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. but I was talking about this the other day that that shame. I think I've heard is you it? not talk about no, that. No, we've all, I've no, got so a cleaner. I, me too. It's just me. It's just my house. <laughs> but a lot of women f- say it like, oh, uh, the cleaner. Or oh, they're all quiet about it or they Are feel they? weird if the cleaner... Yeah, well, because you're, especially if they're not working, you're like, oh, I, I should be doing that. I tell you yeah. the other thing about having cleaner is that I don't know if anyone else does this. I clean before the cleaner, which I remember my mum doing when yeah, I was growing up she was and being nuts. like, oh, what is wrong with you? <laughs> I That's definitely what, don't. That's what they're there <laughs> no, for. I don't. I mean, uh, but mine is like Frank, is the baby, has left <laughs> saucepans all over the floor. They'll be in half-eaten apple. Like, it's pretty gross. She does a good job. But, but I but I asked her to do an extra. I asked she comes on a Wednesday. I asked her to come on Friday this week because I I was just like I can't do yeah. any more, and neither of us can. Doug can't either. You know, my husband. We're both at, at capacity. Yeah. I also I don't think I've made this up, but I think I saw that you posted that you had a doula or you had oh, some help for like yeah. six hours a week. When I had Frank, so I had I did. You can get doulas that come and help you with the birth, but I didn't need that. I had Doug for that um, to shout at and <laughs> grab onto. <laughs> But when um, I knew, and it took me to my third to get to this, that when I got to about six, seven weeks, I'd be really tired. Mm. And then they start waking up a bit more and all that stuff. And um, and I bumped into a random lady in a car park who said, who saw me, saw I had two children, a proper, complete stranger. And she was like, just get help, won't you? Do me a favour, get help. I didn't. I got three kids. I was a martyr. I didn't get to do it. And so I started looking into it and... Um, so basically, Sophia, we could, who is our guardian angel, I saw her on Friday. She's now like my best friend. Um, but she came. She she came to see me when I was still pregnant, and she just said, "I just think new mums need looking after." And she would come, and she'd send me to go for a nap or whatever. 
and she would wake me up. So she'd look after the baby while I napped and then she'd come and wake me up with a cup of tea, baby's ready to be fed, maybe a bit of cake, you know. Uh, oh my god. And she just looked after me and so I had brain space to look after mm-hmm. the rest of the family. And Doug, we, Doug would come home and go, right, so what are we going to do for tea? Because like, I wouldn't have done anything. And I'd be like, Sophie's been. And she would have oh. left food for us. And uh, like, it's, it was a revelation. It changed my experience so much. See, but my question is, why? And so I remember seeing that. And I remember them meeting some women that were talking about what happens when a woman has a baby in Uganda. Mm. And when you have a baby in Uganda, all your sisters rally around mm. and they take your baby away. Yeah. And they basically massage your feet and kick your food. Oh, and yeah. then they give you your baby back to be fed. Yeah. And then they take your baby away. Yeah. And she was saying that coming to the UK for her was so isolating and so painful, especially being in, in hospital for a bit, because you don't have the support structures yeah, yeah. to enable you to be a good mum. Yeah. And I was scratching my head like, why? where did, where did we go happen? wrong? Yeah, mm. how did that disconnect Well, happen? it used to be like my mum, my mum was a midwife and had lots of babies, but they had... 10 days in hospital um, where the midwife would do exactly that. And there's only 10 days, but the midwife would take the baby while you had your sleep and then bring it when it was due a feed and all that stuff. So you could, you'd have that recovery because it's massive. Having a baby, however it happens, is massive. And that doesn't happen anymore. So instead you get back after maybe six hours and then there's a queue of people at your door because people think that it's okay to turn up at your door and then you're making them yeah. tea. And like, especially with that first baby, you might be learning to try and learn to feed. You just need... So I wrote the, about pulling up the drawbridge and that was something yes. my mum had said yeah. when I had my first when I was ringing her crying and knackered and I didn't do and it took me to my third to do it. But it, it's, it was so different. Like I can't tell you. And the messages I had from people who saying I wish I'd done that or I'm doing it and it's amazing it's so different and some people have had their families be a bit funny with them about it and you kind of want to scream at them like your son or daughter or whatever they're looking after themselves and their little family they're trying to nurture that that's all they're trying to do I mean, like unless you're coming here to cook don't come yeah I'll bring food yeah. but get out quite quickly yeah. I mean there's some really yeah. basic rules the vampire strikes back badass women's hour excel on talk radio want flexibility take yoga want flexibility with your health insurance check out united healthcare insurance plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company they offer flexible budget-friendly medical dental and vision coverage that may be right for you more at uh1.com when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at blue you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. We're talking about overwhelm. And Steph, you just talked about um, the kind of brilliant post you did on social media 
when you had your third child, which is about pulling up the drawbridge. Mm. And I have to say that my I have a group of very, very good friends from university. We have our WhatsApp group and I'm the only one without a baby on that group. So there's a lot of baby chat. Mm. And Mute the only that. thing I was like, <laughs> love you. Yeah, yeah. Um, the only thing that I have feel like I've contributed to that group are basically things that you have taught me, which is one, <laughs> pull up the drawbridge, and two, naps save lives. Oh yeah, yeah, they do. <laughs> and they now get repeated all the time, and I feel very proud of my oh. knowledge, up, which came from you. But it is this understanding that actually you're going through a really having a baby is it's tough. Big, yeah, yeah stuff, and you need to look after yourself. Do you think? Obviously, for you on social media, you have, I think, really helped people with that. But do you think it, as a general rule, helps or hinders for new mums? I think it, I've, I've probably had two or three messages ever saying, I really wanted to get out. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, I'm not saying don't leave your house if yeah. you're feeling like you need to. And if you're feeling good, if you've woken up and you're feeling good and you feel refreshed. But it's more that people are doing those things and feeling like they should be mm-hmm. out at a baby group and at baby sign with like a two month old who's literally <laughs> lying there. <laughs> it can't move yet, really. <laughs> and you're taking it to some like mad baby class. <laughs> And it's that it's that extreme, and it's like give it a few months, and you you will want to. And also, when I I had people messaging me going, "Oh, can I pop round?" and I've said no, but I also I was like, in a few months' time, I'm going to really need some company because I'll yeah. be going a bit mad, and then it would be lovely. But they don't come then. You don't get the you know everyone's back at work. You're back, like they don't yeah. think of you in at that point, and that's kind of when your friends could be still around. That's actually just made me. Oh no, don't, oh, no. don't, this isn't meant to be, oh, no. don't add it no, to your list. So my um, my best friend had her second baby at uh, just before Christmas. Yeah. And I've, I'm very aware that I am seen as the baby hater in my group. It's not that I hate babies, it's just <laughs> that when I hold them, they cry. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so my friends, bless them, are always very keen to like try not to be like, they're like not too much, too much babies in front of parent. I'm like, no, no, tell me, tell me. Yeah. Um, but I really wanted to be like... I'm here for you and the mm. baby. So I like obviously sent her the traditional don't buy her flowers gift that I sent all my new mums. And I, you know, sent her some messages and I checked in. And then they went away to see family and then people were ill and it's gone on and I haven't seen her since she's had the baby. So obviously like we've Don't spoken, worry about it though. I felt a bit bad. No. I, I've had people okay. saying, yeah, I've had people, I've got people I still haven't seen. It's like, I know that they're there. I, you know, if I was desperate okay. to, yeah, because it's also down to me. So I'm 16 months in with Frank now. Yeah. And I, I, yeah, there's some people I haven't seen, but there's so many people that you've got to see. Like we have so many groups of friends. You've got work yeah. colleagues and we've all done more than one job. So you've got lots of work colleagues and you've got university and college. And so it is hard to fit everyone in. But if you're messaging her and saying, I hope you're okay, then she knows you're there. Yeah. I mean, what? I am also lobbying to be godmother because I'm not yet one. So, oh, yeah. Like, well, then you I'm need to. Get on her. Yeah. <laughs> so I would just like a bit of advice um, for when I have the baby that I don't have yet. Okay. Because I have a plan. Okay. Um, so my plan is that when I have a baby, I'm going to go away for between four and nine months to somewhere hot, probably Spain. Okay. And I'm just going to go and I'm going to have, you know. Are you taking the baby with you? Yeah. With, okay. Yeah. Right. <laughs> just to clarify. Yes. So me, the baby, the man, wherever he may be, hurry up. Um, and Is he going like, to get that time off work? Oh, I haven't thought about that bit. <laughs> By this point, we've changed the legislation so everyone yeah, gets a year. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, probably my mum and then... Like, I'm going to find a marguerite 
someone that can make really luscious food and my days are going to be spent in the sun with my baby not doing very much apart from eating great food i mean do you think that's feasible i think that's a great plan i think people feel like they've got to get back to everything too quickly so i would say go for it but i'm i always just like january and feb are horrible months without a baby yeah. So with a baby, at home. I can Im- at home, I can imagine it's just like, and one of my friends did it. She decided she went to South Africa for nine months. Baby number two, she's like, I- I'm just not doing it. I refuse to do it. I refuse to keep up with the Joneses. We're going to rent a lovely place in Cape Town. And I'm going to hang out in the sun. And I'm going to make this man come with me and he'll figure it out at work. <laughs> and they did it. And she was like, it was just so much easier yeah and i was like there's something in that can't go as far as cape town but i can go to spain Spain. yeah (laughs) i like it so i'm just saying that is my plan and then and then it means people can't immediately come and visit yeah but then they can come when they come it's like a whole weekend and you're like here's the baby and they can plan yeah and you can plan it in yeah i think as well people have to do what works for them but i think the the difficulty is that a lot of people are trying to keep up with what they think they see mm. which might be someone who looks like they've really got it together and they're back in their jeans after how many days mm. and all they see so you feel that and i th- i think i could probably name celebrities who had babies at the mm. same as my three babies at the same time mm. because i was seeing them and going oh it mm. gives you that pang even right. though i know it's ridiculous you still have that Oh gosh, she's out there on date night after two weeks. Like what the? I couldn't barely like, <laughs> yeah. move or speak to Doug. Like it's just bizarre. But you still you're seeing it because it's drip fed all the time. Yeah. That's what I'm really curious about in terms of the the stuff that is seen and assumed and the shoulds versus what mm. is the reality. Uh, mm. You know the stories that you're you know sharing, mm. but you know you when you become a mum for the first time, that is like taking on a whole new job. Mm. You are CEO of a human being. You have no idea what it's going to be like, but there doesn't seem to be kind of some central manual going. Yeah. Actually, what you want to do for the first six months is tell everybody to get lost, yeah. and you just uh, like there's, there doesn't seem to be anything apart from you know people like yourself who are now having these conversations yeah. until then I just feel like everybody's doing this new job that nobody's ever done before in their lives and they're expected to know what to do yeah. yet they're, they're getting this really kind of like all these pressures from celebrities from society to be a certain way yeah like how do we change well, that's, that? and, and why, you know why is there a, a lot of people that suffer with postnatal depression mm, anxiety yeah. it's, it's exactly all those things because you feel like you should be a certain way yeah and I think I think it is hearing. I mean, there is much much more, many more people aren't talking about it on social media. But there's still also the congratulating women for doing everything yeah. really quickly. And we don't have a culture that that really celebrates motherhood, do we? I do feel like it's like you have a life, then you have a baby. That baby slots into that life, and you carry on. When it's not like that at all, you you have a a new life when you have a mm. new person in your family. But I feel like we don't celebrate that motherhood that you know when you first have a baby you mm. should spend some time cocooning it's almost like well when are you going to go back to work and when mm. are you going to get Spain. back to activities when are you going to get back in your jeans <laughs> yeah like, we don't celebrate no it's what can you or, getting back to you're going to get yes, back to what you were before actually, it's like well you're not gonna yeah yeah and mentally you're completely different everything yeah. everything is different and it's not necessarily negative you know there's no. not there's, there's a lot of it is really really positive yeah but you're almost not allowed to get to that because you're too busy worrying that you haven't got yourself back yeah and then your expectations aren't managed because if you think you're going back to your old life but then mm. your old life doesn't come back and then 
you know, yeah. the grief for that old life. Can yeah. I just add what a, an important point about Spain? <laughs> I only wear bellowing dresses. Oh yeah, perfect. Which is like great. Ibiza style bellowing. Yeah. There's no yeah. jean. There's, I mean, yeah. and that is me for f- between four and nine months. I think it sounds like a really good plan. It does sound like a really good plan. Yeah. So you obviously run your own business as well. Yeah. How did that add, I guess, to kind of the overwhelm? Because mm-hmm. did you feel pressure to be like, actually, I need to go back into the business right now. I need to be doing things. I need to be worrying about stuff. It's different because I love what I do. So yeah. that is when you've got your own thing, obviously, it yeah. there is a difference there. But I did take time out. So I, what the difference is, because I have people going, oh, but you started a business when you had a tiny baby. Yeah. And it's like, no, no, I didn't. The kids were two, the older kids were two and four. So I had the idea when I had my first, and I didn't actually start until four years later, which is quite an important thing. Because again, it's on maternity leave. I should be doing something in my maternity leave. I'll write a book or I'll start a business. I'll start a blog. It's like, actually, really, no. Like, I, I didn't with, with the first two. So when, by the time I had Frank, we've got a warehouse and a team, an operational team. So the business runs without me on it like a day-to-day basis. Um, and so then when I was chipping in, and it would be with, you know, ideas of what we're going to do next, it felt really good because I was kind of, I was keeping my brain doing what it did before and really enjoying it, but I wasn't worrying about the day-to-day stuff or if a parcel went missing or look, worrying about all the feedback, you know, and having lovely messages and thinking, what, right, I need to get back to that person because other people were dealing with it. Mm. And I made sure I, I had a social media manager and it was when I was pregnant, I, I had done it all myself. When I was pregnant, I realised I wasn't going to be able to do that and I brought her in when I was about five months. And so she manages all the Don't Buy Flowers mm. accounts and that was the best, like, it was a, a sensible thing, which I'm quite surprised I, I did. <laughs> but like, I've, I've sat with people who are like, oh, I'm having a baby in about four weeks. Well, ha- what's your plan? And they haven't yeah. got one because like, oh, I'm just going to, oh, I've got an event when the baby's going to be about a week old, but I'll just do it anyway. Like, oh God, because mm. you can, you can see it. You can see that's going to be some sort of car crash because yeah. you can do it, but it's just putting a massive pressure on yourself. What sort of things do you think new mums need? Um, looking after mm-hmm. a doula. <laughs> I think you just need to know that someone's thinking of you. I think what I didn't realise when we started Don't Buy Her Flowers, because it started as Gifts for New Mums and now yeah, it's much broader. But when when we started, it was very much about um, just something that is someone's thinking of you. And I underestimated the power of that, like how much people that you're receiving something that's for you that someone has thought about what they've put in and they've put in a thermos mug because you haven't had a hot cup of tea yeah. they've put in some biscuits because you're hungry like they've put in all the bits and you know that that person's really sat in your shoes you know they've stood in your shoes they've thought what does that person need and that's really powerful because it's also some recognizing that they know that I need some looking after and I think that's I went out for dinner this week and there was someone there who I'd not met and her husband had bought her a package. Not when she had a child, but for, for um, I think he'd been away and they'd had loads of family stuff going on. And she was like, it's the, they'd been together 18 years. It was the most thoughtful thing I, he's ever bought me, which I was Aww. like, this is music to me. Because that's that's the business, it's the thoughtfulness side. Um, but he, it was the handwritten tag, you know, he'd, he'd, he'd get written a message and when a, someone says a few lovely words, it means quite a lot. And he thought about what went in it. And I think that's the, the power. So that with the new mum thing that is, it's just having somebody thinking of you. How do you ex- not be too greedy, but you've thought of us, right? Because I see you're sitting next to three boxes. Yes. Um, are they for us? Yes, they are. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're all for me. <laughs> can we have a little look? Yes, you can. They're all the same. 
So one of my question was, because you, you started with sort of gifts for new mums. Yeah. But now you do lots of gifts, don't you? You've done um, gifts for people who are going through treatment of cancer. Yeah. So How do you then expand your, your range? Because I think that's one of the keys to your success is the empathy mm. of these boxes, yeah. isn't it? They're born <coughs> from really knowing how that person feels. At the yeah. End. I think, um, so the stand up to cancer one, that one's been really because we worked with four women who were going through, obviously Deborah, you guys yeah. know well. Um, we've worked with people who were going through um, cancer and so they told us what would have helped them and I think that's kind of the, the really key bit. So the same, the, this package is the Unwind package and there's like, I think we've got 30, 30 odd products in it that you can choose from and when you, you can then put it together however you want. So you're, you're making it really personal. <laughs> <laughs> Wait. Wait for it. You do, Steph's made them very personal, clearly, because you see how excited we are. We've got to find out what is in these packages coming up after this break. <laughs> Badass Women's Hour XL on Talk Radio. She'll get you talking. We are opening some gift packages here on Badass <laughs> Women's Hour because the fabulous Steph Douglas from Don't Buy Her Flowers in the studio, and she's bought us one of their beautiful packages. Nat, tell us what's in it. Oh. So we've got a deep sleep pillow spray which from This Works, which just... It's the best any, thing. Yeah, for anyone who sometimes struggles to sleep, this, is, yeah, it's uh, it's dreamy. We've got some tea pigs, calm, relaxing tea. So all of this goes together to help us have a better night's sleep. We've got some space masks from spacemasks.com. It's like a heating eye mask. Yeah, so I'll just, Do like, just lie down. 15 minutes yeah. of warmth on my eyes. Oh. Cannot wait. And the one I'm really, really excited about um, is Skin and Tonic, the cocoa mask. And mm. it says you can mix it with yogurt and honey just for hydration. I'm like, I'm going to look so freaking awesome next week. <laughs> Rested. Yeah. This is basically what we're doing for all of tomorrow. Yeah. And also, it's quite frankly what I'm going to have to do next Saturday once I've been <laughs> out. It's like post-clubbing recovery kit yeah, for no, Harry Potter. next day. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, Steph, you've obviously grown your business a lot on Instagram and through kind of maximizing social media but what what would you say for somebody who thinks that they have an idea but they're balancing a family life they want to get it up and started what are your top tips um I think uh I found it really helpful to write a business plan just because I needed to have written something down it even if it was just writing down what the business was um and also things like getting on social media, getting out there, starting to make networks and connections and all those things. Because it then once you do launch, it really helps. Um, I didn't really tell him what I was doing until I launched it. Mm. And also, there's a bit of it that just needing to get started. Even if you start really small, but doing the thing that you're planning to do. Because I think a lot of people think they've got to wait, whether they've got to have investment or they've got to start with this big full shebang and it's like if you wait for that you either might never do it or you're going to be waiting quite a long time where we launched with three packages and it was me packing in my spare room and I didn't have a strategy of right and at this point I'll get a warehouse and at this point but it kind of it 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 worked and it was incremental so month on month I got nine months in and I was packing everything myself and a friend was like this is not a good use of your time but it felt such a leap to then bring Mm. someone else in because it does doesn't it and so it was at one step at a time to to get to the. So I think, but getting started, you're going to start getting feedback straight away. So as I started as gift for new mums, and it was only when we were then live that you had people going, "Oh, I wanted to send this as a birthday or a get yeah. well," or and then you go, "Oh, actually, this is 
much bigger market than I originally thought and means there's loads of potential. Um, but I wouldn't have known that until I got going. So I could have written 10 business plans and I wouldn't have known that. Yeah. I think this is the assumption as well that when you set up a business, like anyone can set up a business, you literally just go to company's house yeah. and you can be trading in 10 minutes. In ten minutes. <laughs> but there's an assumption that everyone knows how to run a business. And, oh God, no. you know, if you look at your career, like mm. it takes a good 10 years to really establish yourself in a career, really know what you're doing, really feel in the flow. And I think people underestimate that. They think that within six months or a year, they're going to be this like, uber successful entrepreneur not realizing that actually you're a junior entrepreneur yeah. you are like you, you know you are we still are, we're still a small business you yeah. know you kind of you think of how many people we could be reaching and it's it's massive mm. but also I think that first two years for me that was the marker those first two years were really tough just because yeah. what we talked about earlier you're never done and it took me a long time to realize There's that lots to, and you also you're building something from scratch so you're doing everything yeah and but that's what people underestimate as well because mm. it's like you don't have any finance system or processes so you've got to build that haven't you, you don't contacts have as well you don't yeah. have the same like now when we were launching this package I've got a load of people that I can contact who I've worked with in the last four years but when I first launched I'm messaging journalists going hello do you like what I'm doing you know, yeah. no one replies and you're yeah. like oh my god they hate it it's awful <laughs> it takes time yeah I think but that two years that was that was the kind of the really tough bit and then I think I felt more confident in what I was doing after that point because it I could look at the numbers if mm. nothing else and go okay it's grown mm. it's working um and we've got all these customers with all this feedback so then you that your confidence means that you you just are easier on yourself probably yeah. We started this segment with you talking about that feeling of overwhelm and everything being too much. Mm. What have you learned about managing that? Um, taking stuff out. It, it will be. It might be that I, the kids are going to have beans on toast again, <laughs> or it might be that I can't see friends for a while. I was supposed to see friends last night. Doug was going to be home last like late, and it was like it's going to be really stressful to get out the house. And I know that they are okay, like they, they don't mind. So things like not worrying quite so much about what everyone's thinking because the really good friends, the really good ones or the good family, they're not going to be judging you for not having any time and they'll know, they'll understand because mm. you're, you're trying. You're not a horrible person. It's just that you're feeling completely shot. Yeah. Beautiful wisdom there. Thank you so much, <laughs> Steph, for coming in and Bringing, bringing presents. Do I win? Yeah. Do I win? Best guest ever. Rose didn't bring us any presents. Well, there you go. Um, if you want to find out more about Steph or Don't Buy Flowers, where should everyone be looking? Uh, don'tbuyherflowers.com. Beautiful. Easy. Um, and also, go follow them all on social media because they are some of my favourite social media accounts. Give us the addresses, my darling. Uh, Steph, oh, for me, uh, Steph underscore Don't Buy Her Flowers. Or the at Don't Buy Her Flowers is the official so straightforward. <laughs> this has been the Badass Women's Hour podcast with me, Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton. If you want to hear more from us, you can come follow us on social media at Badass Women's Hour HR um, or leave us a review and tell us how much you love us. We really need to feel the love. Five stars should do it. 
Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, folks. I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultrasoft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 